0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond the To Do List. I am your host, Eric Fisher. This week I'm interviewing Daniel J. Lewis of the Noodle Mix Podcast Network, which is the network that this show is a part of. And you should go check that out at noodle.mx. Daniel and I have been friends for, oh, I don't know, since about 2007. He does a podcast about podcasting. He does a number of other podcasts as well, and you should check them all out again over at that noodle.mx link. He and I talk about his entrepreneurial transition from where he was to where he is and some of the tips and tricks he's found as well as some of the failures that he has learned from in that road and that process. Well, this week, it is my privilege to introduce Daniel Lewis. He is the, well, I've known him for a long time, and, and actually, I'm just going to let him introduce himself. How about that? <laughs> Welcome to the show, Daniel.
2: Hey, Eric. Thank you so much. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I love the middle initial in there just because, it, have you ever seen Daniel Lewis, the, the name, combined with each other? And it looks um, like Danielle Wiss.
0: Yeah, I haven't ever thought about that.
2: So, <laughs> What the internet has introduced us to in but user I'm, names. And-
0: yeah, I'm now going to refer to you as that for the rest of the show. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so uh, this is an interview we should have done months and months ago when I first started the show. And for, for whatever reason, we've put it off. But I think partially because I'm busy and you're busy and we're both recording our own show or shows on your case. And my show, let's start there. My show is part of your podcast network.
2: Right. Noodle Mix Network, where the theme of our content is stuff that makes you think, laugh, and succeed. And I've really enjoyed having you as part of the network, and uh, I know many of my listeners from my other podcasts are saying, oh, this is so awesome that you have this podcast as part of your network. I started listening to it, and it's amazing. I watch the reviews and such, so it's great to be working with you, and uh, you're bringing great content to the network as well.
0: Yeah, and I knew that I was in good hands, that you were going to be able to do some stuff with the site that I couldn't do, like increase the load time and... A whole lot of back-end stuff that, honestly, I'm not a detail-oriented person, although I could have sat and learned it, but I knew you were. And so – and the reason I knew that is because we've actually known each other for – I mean, how long has it been now? Like 2007,
2: I think? Yeah, a while. We met through – I think through one of your original podcasts.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: your comedy original podcast.
0: Top 10 new comedy podcasts of 2007 in iTunes, <laughs> December 2007. Wow. And And uh, – That was fun. Anyway, yeah, and then you, so how did you get into podcasting?
2: It started when iTunes version 4.9 came out and started supporting podcasting. So the first introduction of the podcast directory in iTunes, I heard lots of people talking about podcasts, so I decided, well, to look for something technology related. So I found two podcasts that seemed interesting and tech related. One was This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte, and the other was Jesus Geek with John Wilkerson, our mutual friend. And I started listening to those things. Now, back then, I didn't have an iPod. Back then, I hated Apple. Um, I had some kind of vendetta against Apple and vowed to never own an iPod. But what I would do to listen to podcasts back then was actually load them onto my laptop computer and put my laptop computer in the car open, playing through the speakers as I'm driving to and from work, listening to podcasts that way.
0: Wow. That's dedication. So,
2: yeah. So I'm listening to those podcasts back then and realizing, wow, these people are recording into their computers or they're recording through Skype. They're posting on a website. I know how to do this. And I felt like back then I had something that I could contribute. I I had some funny stories and thought I could do a kind of funny comedy podcast. And uh, then I heard from one of Leo Laporte's other podcasts, uh, another comedy podcast that was scripted comedy. And it provided to me a model of this is one way I could approach this. And so I started that, but really struggled on releasing episodes for two years. And here's a productivity tip in this. I was trying to make my episodes perfect. They were scripted I would perform them verbatim, and if I messed up on the slightest little thing, I would have to redo that spot, and then that meant more editing afterward. And so, in two years, I had nine episodes of my podcast, and that was it. I remember uh, that. They were 15-minute episodes, too, and a single 15-minute episode would take me hours and hours to write, produce, edit, and get published. And uh, one of my recent iTunes reviews for that podcast called The Ramen Noodle, it's the Clean Comedy Podcast, we're still doing it today, but one of the iTunes reviews said something like, once you get past the first 10 or so episodes, it's great.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, are those the same ones that are still out there as the originals? or Because I thought at some point you had rebooted it.
2: Uh, they are the originals. So if okay. you go to cleancomedypodcast.com slash the number one That is episode one. Now, I did have a different name for it originally, and uh, I just redid it then a couple weeks later when I had the name The Ramen Noodle figured out. But the biggest thing for me that was my kick getting into this was hearing from Callie Lewis of back then geekbrief.tv. She said in an episode the same advice that also then I heard from my new friend back then, Cliff Ravenscraft, said something very similar, and that was just Jump in and do it. Don't wait until you have everything perfect before you start. Just jump in and start. And that's how I got started then is I, I took that plunge, struggled for a while, but then took it seriously and found more success.
0: Well, that echo, that echoes I had heard both of them say that and the even last, let's see, June, when you and I, which were rooming together at Blog World to go in New York City, um, I was pondering, okay, I need to do a show. I need to do a podcast. I've wanted to do a podcast for a long time, a solo show. And that that advice that you just said, they said, echoes what Andy Traub and Justin Lucas Savage said to me when I talked to them. I was like, okay, guys, here's my idea, sort of. What do you think? And I even recorded like a 10-minute demo of me talking like I was going to talk on the show and things like that. And I sent it to them. And to their credit, they were so supportive. Like they wrote back and they said, dude, just get in front of the microphone and just hit record and go. Just start. And I was like, you're right. But I I mean, honestly, I needed to hear a voice outside of myself uh, say that. So is, I mean, is that what you heard? That's what happened to you, right?
2: Yeah, very much. And it reminds me of a book. I can't remember which book it was. I, I'm thinking Linchpin, but it might not have been Linchpin, but one of those um, popular productivity books. Where uh, the author said, take some time to make the decision, maybe two or three weeks, and then make the decision. Don't keep putting it off or trying to figure things out or collect data. But just after a certain short amount of time, make the decision and follow through with it.
0: And so, that was… 2007. So, seven into eight. So, 07 into 08 is when you were doing the first like 10 episodes or so. Right.
2: Yeah. Well, first 10 episodes took me two years to do. Uh, So, it was 2009 that I started taking podcasting seriously in in November of 2009 because I was hearing other people releasing weekly podcasts, seeing their success and realizing, blah, I've got nine episodes in two years. This is pathetic. I'm trying to be too much of a perfectionist. And uh, I I knew that podcasting was something I definitely wanted to do. I'd invested money into upgrading my equipment and such. And so I decided to take it seriously. I considered my options, took a couple of weeks to plan things out, and then made my decision to be consistent on it, recognizing that sometimes my quality may not be the best, but still I wanted to be consistent to make sure that I had that accountability with my listeners as well as the regular part of my schedule so this was something I had to have finished by a certain time each week
0: uh, so it's kind of the the idea of that you hear from uh, you know bloggers or writers where they say you know I have my set time where I go and I sit down and I and I write and it may not be great but at least I'm exercising the fingers and I'll I then have something that I can go back to craft the words a little bit better now that's not Necessarily the same thing when it comes to podcasting because, like, right now we're recording, but if we say a lot of stupid stuff and it's totally incoherent, yeah, I can delete it all, but then the episode is really just kind of shallow and doesn't really have anything to it. So mm. it's not the same thing. You have to re record or rewrite or re edit when it comes to recording audio, which, which again, you've become. Very knowledgeable about in terms of audio quality, and for the fact that I mean, you've you do a podcast about podcasting, one of the few that I know of mm-hmm. that you know that I trust at least called Audacity to Podcast. And when did you start doing that? Was that after you went solo? Well, not solo, you were not in a band and then went solo, <laughs> you you uh became self employed, or had you started that first? I can't remember. No,
2: it was uh, so. 2009, end of 2009, was I decided when I decided to take my podcasting seriously and release weekly episodes of The Ramen Noodle, my clean comedy podcast. Around that same time, I was listening to other podcasts about podcasting, and there weren't very many uh, back then. And I just felt like there was a, a particular void, a, a perspective that wasn't being shared and certain tools that weren't being mentioned and certain information that wasn't being put out. And I I just felt like I, I've got something to say on this too. Why isn't anyone else saying this? And then I just at some point realized, well, because I need to say it. That's why no one else is saying yeah. it. So it was summer of 2010 that I launched the Audacity to Podcast and decided that back then, it was going to be a podcast about podcasting, and I would be one of the few people who would tie everything back into Audacity. It was never supposed to be just a podcast about Audacity. I know many people thought that when I first launched it because of the name, but uh, it's. It, I still tie things back into Audacity because I think Audacity is great for people to use. But that was 2010 that I launched that, and I started right away with doing weekly episodes, and it got featured in iTunes. Uh, not just in New and Noteworthy, but it was featured on the front page of the iTunes podcast store as a a high recommendation for people to download and subscribe to. And that really surprised me. It suddenly connected some dots for me back then because I was still working in a full-time job in 2010. It was a dream job. And I had accomplished, though, every one of my dreams Mm. at that job. And then I had nothing left, and I wasn't living out the dreams I'd accomplished them. And then, due to reorganization and restructuring and all of that, I wasn't able to keep doing many of those things. So I felt like I've accomplished all of my purposes here. Now what? Because I couldn't just sit stagnant and not have any future goals. There, there wasn't anything else for me. So I kept trying to figure out where can I go from here, and I tried several times to pursue this freelancing, self-employment option, and it just wasn't working. But then when I launched the Audacity to Podcast in summer of 2010, I realized this is that missing piece. Because when I saw my subscriptions and numbers and audience take a huge spike up, then I realized this could be where I get to market my services to people, connect with people who will either be interested in hiring me to help them, or will refer other people to me so that basically I would never have to do any kind of advertising. My community would advertise for me or bring the business to me as I provide quality content to them and free services to them. So in that same summer of 2010, I was engaged to my now wife, Jenny, and we were talking on the phone one night and I was telling her about all these plans and ideas. And she challenged me that she said something like, well, what do you think about setting a goal that one year from now, you'll be fully self-employed? I thought, yeah, that's good. I'm nervous about it. I'm scared about that. But I think that's a reasonable goal. And I had in mind this plan of I'll slowly transition out of my job into self-employment. It didn't happen at all like that. (laughs) But I did hit that goal that it was one year later in 2011, that I was able to resign my job, uh, resign it honorably, and then fully pursue and focus on the self-employment. And it was because of the audience and the network and the connections and the community that I'd built up through my podcast that enabled me to then take that step a year later.
0: Now, the business is not necessarily a podcasting-producing business. It's actually uh, D Joseph design, correct?
2: Right. D Joseph design is the overall company that many people don't know or don't even care about that business name. And I recognize that my business name is not on my business cards and neither is my logo because that means nothing to anyone other than myself. So I put on there what I do. So D Joseph design is the overall mother company of everything. But um, the different facets of what I do through my entrepreneurial endeavors are the web design is my primary target. So I design websites for people. I redesign sites for people. I can enhance certain things on websites, like maybe something just fixing a little WordPress plugin here or there, creating their website completely for them. I design podcast cover art as a specialty as well, and presentation design, PowerPoints, keynotes, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of design stuff that I work on, but also because of the Audacity to Podcast where I teach people how to podcast, I do one-on-one consulting, helping people podcast, um, helping them with podcasting problems, helping them fix issues, improve their quality, grow their audience, that kind of thing. And then this year, 2013, I'm focusing on offering more group training. So I'm having webinars like a webinar on how to use Audacity, this free program that can be kind of confusing to use, teaching people how do you use this. I'll be producing some digital products that teach people how to do this or how to do that and hosting more webinars on Audacity, on WordPress, on podcasting and improving what we do as content creators on the internet. And then there are other endeavors I'm looking into as well, like creating an app for iOS soon, um, maybe some premium WordPress plugins. And so several things. Like a typical entrepreneur, I've got my hands in a lot of fires, and I'm getting burned, but it's awesome. I love it.
0: (laughs) Nice. So in your transition over from employee to self-employed or entrepreneur, What have been some kind of the transitionary type, maybe mistakes, or things you've learned along the way from then till now?
2: I took too much for granted in my transition, and I should have planned more by lining up more business when I left. My thought was that, okay, great, I'm receiving all of these emails from people requesting business, and so this will be great. I'll be able to negotiate these contracts and stuff after I leave my job. Well, what I should have done is schedule all of that work, negotiate those contracts before I left so that as soon as I left my job, I'd be able to hit the ground running. That first month after I left my job, I think I made $400 in the month, which doesn't even pay for my mortgage. So I quickly realized this model did not work. I, I wish that I had lined up the work ahead of time and tried to kind of slowly make that transition, uh, not in the sense of cutting back hours at a full-time job, but lining up so that I could just pick up from one job, go straight into another job.
0: Yeah. One of the other, well, you, you already mentioned this, but you, at the time, your fiance and now wife said what she said about, well, what about a year from now? And that was actually going to be a point after you got married. So obviously you were going through a couple different transitions. Would you care to share it all about how maybe your structure, uh, not just from employee to entrepreneur, has changed because you're working from your home, but how maybe your structure has changed with uh, being a newlywed?
2: Yeah, that was something that really made me nervous when I was considering this because I was thinking, I I have this goal now, this is something I really need to do, but I'm still in my first year of marriage back then because we got married in fall of 2010. So I was thinking, should I really be doing this now? Is this too big of a step to take during our first year of marriage? But it it was something that really needed to be done because the struggle I was facing before making this decision was because I was in a job. It was a good job, not dissing my former employer or anything, but it was a good job. But because I'd accomplished everything, I felt like I there was nothing left for me to accomplish. And so I would come home kind of emotionally, mentally drained, just feeling like I'm not doing anything that I want to be doing. So then I felt like I wouldn't have as much to give to my wife when I get came home. But... I'd also, I'd be wanting to spend time with her, but also wanting to spend time developing the podcast, trying to get this business started. So it was all of these things conflicting for my interest, my time, and I wanted to do all of them. So a choice to do one or the other wasn't saying I didn't want to do the other thing. And it was just really hard. So when I left my job and was able to uh, focus then on building my business... It still became the struggle of having to spend many hours in my business, but one of the things that's really helped my wife and I while I've been self-employed, a couple basic boundaries. One is time, knowing that at a certain time of day, I say between five and six in the evening, is when I stop working, I wrap up, I come upstairs, we spend dedicated time together knowing that we have this time to not just eat dinner and that's it, but to connect and to spend some time enjoying each other, having some fun, reading a book, watching a movie, hanging out and talking, doing something nice together, having that dedicated time. And then at a particular time in the evening, I can still have an hour or two to do my last few things that I need to check on or pick up that I left off from earlier in the day. So scheduling it like that has really helped set that basic boundary of time.
0: What are some of the other boundaries do you have other than time?
2: Well, one that we're still struggling with a little bit, and you're going to hear me use the phrase struggling a lot in this because I am now a year and a half into this business. So there are still things I'm I'm trying out and discovering don't work or do work. But one of the things that we still have the struggle with is my working here at home. I work in the basement of our bi-level house. So it's not like I'm completely separated from the house, but I'm still reachable. So we're learning that when I need to go to work in the morning, I'm starting to use the phrase goodbye, or I'm going to work now. Goodbye. I love you. So it's treating it like I am leaving so that that helps set up that mental barrier that I'm gone I'm at work I'm trying to focus now but then occasionally throughout the day we get to briefly connect like for coming up to refill my water or to have lunch together and certain days we have dedicated times that we'll have breakfast together this day on this time or we'll have lunch together on this day so trying to implement that boundary can really help now I don't have a door to my office. So not having a door, I think, prevents as strong of a boundary, both for during the day of bringing family life into business life, but also for me at the end of the day, and I mean that literally, not the, the other term, but at the end of the day, my closing a door on the office and having that extra step of, do I really need to open this door again and walk into this room and do work at the end of the day? So at some point, I'm going to put a door in my office when I have enough money to afford a door.
1: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search. Just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic? For me, I'm thinking air conditioning. Noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays? What about selling with Shopify?
0: Yeah. And I think you're talking about one of those things that, you know, the whole telecommuting thing, I think it was just this week where Yahoo kind of changed its policy and said, hey, no more of that, where, you know, people can't work from home. But it's always a it's a curious thing. I mean, I've had other people on the show where, again, just like you, they've got an office in their house and they figure out different ways to do that because there are so many pros and cons to that scenario one way or the other that uh, like, for example, your commute. You don't have mm-hmm. one. Or it's yeah. it's a matter of feet instead of, you know, miles. So that's a plus. But then the on the downside is if you don't have a as strict enough boundary to, you know, maintain focus while you literally do need to get work done, that can be a con. And so there've been different ways that, you know, people have brought up the way that they, they put that boundary in place or how much of it they need. I know you used to not be an Apple person, but I know you are now. Technology plays a part in this, doesn't it? I mean, when it comes to having the phone in your pocket, I mean, you can't do all your work there, but you can do some pretty significant things there or with an iPad or a laptop, et cetera. So what are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, the technology that I'm using can both help and hinder me depending on how I use it. So, I am now an Apple user. I'm not a Mac fanboy. I will easily defend Windows if someone challenges that Apple is superior, but um I do have several Apple products now. I think the only thing that's not Apple are maybe the socks that I'm wearing, but besides that They'll get there. Uh, Yeah. So I'm taking advantage of these tools and learning how to use them better to be able to set these boundaries or to remind me of these certain things. So, for example, if during the day my uh, wife mentions, hey, the toilet in the bathroom is messing up, can you fix that? Well, there could be that thing of, it's a responsibility on both of our parts. She could say, can you fix this now? It really needs to be fixed. But if I do that, then that distracts me from the work. I lose that time. I then have to take the time to refocus on what I'm doing. Or I can just pull out my iPhone and hit up Siri and say, Siri, remind me at six o'clock today to fix the toilet. So then it's that brief, very quick, very easy to make note of something I need to do And then my phone will vibrate at six o'clock to remind me what I said I would do earlier. So that's, especially with the reminders and that kind of thing, that really helps me with the technology. One of the other things uh, that helps is having the iPhone or iPad is occasionally when I have some downtime, I can use that to catch up on something that's just getting overloaded, like my email inbox where sometimes my email inbox is not stuff I need to reply to. It's just simply something I need to read and that's it. A paragraph or a letter or something that I don't have to take any action other than to read. So maybe while I'm cooking my lunch, that can be a nice moment for me to whip out my iPhone, just quickly read that email, then archive it and know that, hey, that's one more email I've read Uh, while I'm on the toilet, anything else like that. But at the same time, this technology can also be distracting because now having the iPhone too, I just switched recently from Android to iPhone, that opens up a new world of fun games and tools and social interactions and notifications from Twitter and Google Plus and LinkedIn and all of these things screaming for my attention. And that's where I have to shut some of this stuff off. When I need to design a website, I've learned that this is the time that I need to close my Gmail tab. I need to close my Twitter program. I need to put my phone somewhere else so I'm not distracted by even just while I'm waiting for something to upload, to pull out my phone and quickly check the weather or take a turn on angry birds or worms or anything like that. But to just put these things away so that's inconvenient for me to distract myself, and then I can focus a whole lot better. And what also helps very easily with that is, well, time back into technology. As simple as a timer. With the iPhone, I can hold down uh, the button for Siri, and I can tell Siri, set a timer for 45 minutes. Or a website that I've used a lot is eggtimer. That's e.ggtimer.com. I believe is the address. I know you'll put it in the show notes. It's a simple timer. Just set a timer. And I can know that for these 15 minutes or so, I'm to do nothing else other than this task I'm working on. And I like setting it at 15 or 20 minutes because then I know that it's long enough for me to to really focus or maybe 30 minutes sometimes. Long enough for me to focus, but also short enough that I know that this thing that popped into my mind... That could distract me. I can take care of this in just 15 or 20 or 30 minutes. It's not something I have to wait hours to get to and it's going to nag me, but I know, okay, I'll make a quick note. This is something I want to do in 30 minutes. I'll get to it then. And it helps me a whole lot then with keeping my focus and yet still remembering to do those things I need to do later.
0: Yeah, that is a great idea. I've had some success with that. I'll admit that that's something that's still sometimes hard for me to do. I think partially because I need to kind of figure out what my own personal threshold for concentration is. I guess that's the best way to put it. It's because I've done that too with, the, you know, 15, 20 minutes. And the task is actually going to take longer than that. It's maybe a 40 to 45 minute. So maybe if in the front end I did a better job of estimation and then set it for, say, 40, 45 minutes instead of 15 to 20 when I get to that 15 to 20 and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not done, but I'm going to go take a quick break, grab some water, you know, walk around, do whatever, and then come back and start working. The time that it takes me to sit back down, get back into, okay, now where was I and all that, like I actually would have been better off to have kept going than to have stopped mm-hmm. because it then transformed it from a 45 minute into about an hour. Right. And so – but I'm speaking for me personally personally. I think some people, they may do better to say, okay, 15, 20 minute for a 45 minute thing, but that break really breaks it up and makes it not feel like they're they're sitting there for 45 minutes. It's it's all about what works best for you, honestly.
2: Yeah. That's where I find that this website, Egg Timer, and I did just verify it's e.ggtimer.com. And then if you add slash, and then you write the number of how many minutes, you actually say five minutes, the number five and the word minutes or 15 minutes. I like having this browser version because what that does is it beeps when it hits its timer and I then can quickly just refresh the page and it resets the timer for me for another 15 minutes. So like you're saying, if I get into my groove and I'm just going and going and really being productive, the timer goes off then I can go look, realize, okay, I've done 15 minutes. And this is especially helpful for the uh, some clients that I have that I bill hourly. So I need to keep track of my time with them. So I can just make a quick notch that I worked a quarter of an hour and then reset my timer because I'm on, I'm in that zone and I don't want to lose that zone. So I just reset the timer for another 15 minutes and then either repeat or then take my break later. But then it allows me to keep track of my time because I'm working in 15-minute increments, focus, and at any 15-minute increment, I have the option to take a break or refresh that page so quickly just by pressing Command-R or F5 and then continue on focused for another 15 minutes. And it works really well when I do it. And that's the thing. I sometimes forget to do this, but every time I've done it, it works really well for me to focus.
0: Okay, I have to say thank you for saying what you just said because that just almost sort of blew my mind because I realized, duh, why don't you just hit another you know hit go on another fifteen minutes (laughs) and keep going? You don't have to take the break if you're on a roll, but it could be contextual. So, and I think what we're we're talking about here is just really being effective with the time and using it for what we've. Pre designated it for. I mean, like Michael Hyatt has said and even said on the interview with him, was stuff that gets calendared gets done. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, like you were talking about with putting the boundaries around use of mobile technology is that sometimes that time, like for example, I don't think your wife would like it really much if during the designated time where you're spending quality time with her, intentional time with her interacting with her then you know unless you've predetermined hey we're going to play words with friends and sit <laughs> next to each other but stare at our phones which you know whatever crazy people that unless that's predetermined to be okay with her she probably wouldn't like it that you're sitting there checking your email now you're being productive but you're not working on the right thing you right know? and so i think that's what we're talking about as well while we talk about technology and, and time
2: yeah it's it's ruling our technology not letting our technology rule us.
0: And I know you listen to the show. It's it's one of those instances where, hey, Tony Stark is still in control of the Iron Man suit. The Iron Man <laughs> suit, Jarvis does not control the Iron Man suit, okay? Jarvis is is the, the helper of Tony Stark. So with all the things that you're juggling with the business, you're also recording live recordings of podcasts every mm-hmm. week. And your rule of choice or thumb or whatever you want to call it, the podcast consistency is to do it consistently and that the preference probably for most podcasting listeners is to have one new episode a week. Is that right?
2: Generally, but many podcasts that release more than one episode a week do find actually more success. So what I'm trying to do with even my weekly episodes like the Audacity to Podcast I'm also trying to produce midweek content, maybe not necessarily an extra episode, but maybe a video for YouTube that then I can upload in my video uh, feed edition of my podcast or maybe a blog post or some extra content. So it's not like my website is only being updated once per week, but a couple or a few times per week.
0: I know with the workflow and, again, with creating some of the boundaries and for the fact that you are recording some of these shows with your wife as well as other co-hosts throughout the week, sometimes into the evening, like not, you know, you're you're doing it in the evening and not just during like standard work hours. Mm -hmm. How does your weekly calendar look and how do you manage that?
2: Well, the scheduling specific times for each thing really helps. So I know that Monday morning, I get some work in answering some emails and stuff and do some design work Monday mornings. But at Monday at 11 o'clock is when I stop that. My calendar reminds me, this is time to prepare for the Audacity to podcast. So I pull together my notes from the weekend or from the past week that I've made on content that I want to present. And then I start writing my show notes, preparing for that. Then I record at 2 o'clock. Sometimes I, it's right down to the wire of I'm putting the finishing touches on my show notes. Sometimes I've been able to take a break, get some lunch before uh, recording the podcast. But I have that nice hard deadline of I record, my community will be there waiting for me at 2 o'clock Eastern time on a Monday. So I better be there and at least know let them know it's going to be a few minutes late or or present the content on time. And then I know also that after I finish, it takes an hour or so to get that episode finalized, posted online with show notes and pictures and links and all of that. So I have that scheduled. And then I like having a couple days, Tuesdays and Thursdays that are much more flexible. So those are days that... I know if someone says, hey, I want to hire you for some one-on-one consulting to help me with my podcast or website or whatever, I can tell them, great, I'm available on Tuesdays or on Thursdays during the day and then particular evenings if that works better. So having that consistent schedule makes it very easy for me to just tell people, yes, pick a time on this day, any time will work, or I have these time slots available. So it makes it simpler for me because I'm using a consistent schedule. And... Then for our community, too, watching our live podcasts on Mondays and on Wednesday nights, as well as Sunday nights because of our TV show podcast, they know that they can always show up at that time and expect to see us, or even if we're not recording an episode, they can expect to connect with another community member.
0: Do you think that it helps you have pressure or deadline of of the live show to get that preparation done? Are you the type of person that you know if you have a deadline that helps you
2: Definitely because when i first decided to take podcasting seriously in november of 2009 or 2009 i decided that okay i'm i'm going to produce this podcast weekly that was my comedy podcast back then and i'm going to do it live so that my audience will rely on me and i have this hard deadline to know people are depending on me to have content at this time. So that hard deadline helps me a lot to be consistent, to know this time on this day, every week, I need to have content. I need to share this with my audience. That's when I record this podcast. And so that consistency helps me and it helps my audience because they can always know, they hear it so often in the podcast episodes I record. So they get to know that, hey, if I show up at this time, He's going to be there recording this live. I might get to interact with him or with the other co-hosts and build that community that way.
0: I personally have to do because my schedule is different and I have to fit it in when I can. And I can't have a set schedule with terms of recording interviews like this one. So doing the whole live idea, it's like, oh, I can't do that. That's not going to work yeah. for me. But it But it works for you and it works for a number of other podcasts that I listen to. And so I really I like that idea. It's just more of how do you have that structure in place? So Yeah, it's
2: and it's not something I recommend for everyone like who's a podcaster to try the live thing because it introduces a lot of new complexity. So I don't recommend it, but I personally benefit from it and enjoy it.
0: Now, obviously that means that sometimes you're going to deal with technical issues when those pop up and you've got a live show coming, you know. Do you have a backup plan, or do you just kind of say, hey, no live show tonight, but we will get it out to you as soon as it's ready, that kind of a thing?
2: Most of my technology that I use, I've got good enough technology that I can depend on it, and I do depend on it. Uh, The only time when something goes wrong beyond my control is if something catastrophically fails, like uh, one night my primary computer actually died completely a macbook still under warranty thankfully so i got it repaired but it just completely died it would not boot up again so i quickly went to my wife's computer and installed the software on her computer that we needed and we were able to get back on track and only be about half an hour late if the internet goes down that's something we can't control but that happens so rarely and when that happens yeah that's that thing where i'll tweet then from my phone and just say hey Sorry, our internet's down. We can't do it live, but we're recording our episode right now. So you can depend on seeing it in your podcast feeds later.
0: One of the things that I know, and I've personally experienced just recently, and I would be willing to talk about a little bit, but I want to get your thoughts on, is when you're producing, you're not just producing one show consistently on a weekly basis. You're doing a number of shows.
2: Right. Three shows, four episodes per week.
0: Yeah. That's got to wear on you, like in terms of taking a break or having some some downtime or some recharging, how do you handle that?
2: Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. It depends on the show, on the content, on the season. So let's take, for example, Once Upon a Time, which is a TV show right now on ABC on Sunday nights, and we host a podcast about it called Once Podcast. And being a TV show, they have hiatuses. So, during those hiatuses, I face a couple decisions and I'll decide then as each one comes up what I want to do. Either I can take that short hiatus a week or two to my benefit and just say, we're going to take a week off. This will be a chance for us to just take a break, do something else on this night. We'll be back in two weeks. Or this can be a chance for me to then work on something else. I might be interested in, like during one of the recent hiatuses, we got to interview a couple of the cast members of the TV show, which was fantastic. Uh, We're in a one-week hiatus right now, and we had a roundtable with other Once Upon a Time podcasters last night. Very fun and a bit of a relief to me because I didn't have to prepare as much. I didn't have to do as much afterward to get it posted. So the workload can still dramatically decrease on these partial breaks, but then, every now and then, and i'm I am considering this for the future, maybe taking a month or maybe just two weeks off not producing any podcasts so that I can focus entirely on these couple big projects that I want to do, and I think that's what it might take because going back to earlier when I said sometimes I have to shut down these other things or close these things so they aren't distractions. I can see a point coming up this year where I will have to treat my podcast that way and take a one- or two-week break from all of my podcasts so that I can focus on producing something amazing and do it well, and then that can help produce passive income later on.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's one of the things is, again, it's like what's the time designated for? For me, when I started the show, I actually had a friend of mine, online say now you do you are building in like cyclical seasonal way of doing the show aren't you and referred to me uh, a blog post that he had done because he had done something where he hadn't considered what the end game was when he started and so he just thought you know he got halfway through or or not halfway through but you know got to a certain point in months and months into a project uh, i think it was a podcast and just didn't have any kind of way to keep going that he saw at the time, or energy for that matter, and just felt like you know uh, I don't want to stop, but I don't I don't have a way to feel like I can keep going or, or renew my passion, etc. And so when he brought that up, I, I that's when I said, well, you know what, the best time for me because I get a ton of time off of, from work, and so does my daughter, and it's around the holidays anyway. I said, you know what, some point to be determined yet. Uh, This was months and months ago. I said, at some point to be determined in December, I am going to take time off. I didn't know how long I was going to go. I thought definitely prior to Christmas through past New Year's at some point. And and what it ended up being for me was mid-December to beginning of February. And so that was, what, six, seven weeks, something like that. It felt great. It felt great to not be producing the show, but to know people were still finding it. Like I was still, I actually, that was one of the things I did was before that, I actually was privileged enough. I had a couple of different people ask uh, to interview me. So I was actually out there promoting the show, so to speak, while I wasn't recording new episodes, but full while knowing I was going to re-record new episodes as well as jump in. Prior to recording new episodes and actually do some grunt work of lining up some of the new interviews, et cetera, doing the business side of things. And so, but what I want to ask you is, is for a podcaster or, or a content creator where their audience expects weekly content or monthly or whatever the whatever the expectation with the the uh, audience has become, how do you prepare them for that break? Or do you do you miss out? Do you miss out on opportunities? Or is I mean, in the long run, obviously, it's still taking the break is worthwhile because you're recharging to be able to do bigger and better, or the same. So yeah, I
2: I covered uh, this topic actually in an episode of my podcast at theaudacitypodcast.com dot com slash one hundred and seven. I talked about podcasting breaks and frequency and how they affect subscribers, and for content creators on the internet. The more frequently or the more consistently we can produce content, the better it is. But these breaks can also be great times for us, like you're saying, to do other things, to refocus, to produce even better content. But the main thing is to lead up to these breaks, letting the audience know it's coming. Because if you just take a break and the audience doesn't know, they're going to worry about you. They're going to wonder, did you pod fade? Did you just kind of lose track of your time and haven't gotten around to this yet? So the biggest thing that I talk about is announce this, let people know ahead of time and remind them about it ahead of time. So if I'm going to have a one month break, for example, in later this year or something like that, start letting people know ahead of time, near the end of my episodes, not near the beginning, but I would let them know, I'm going to take this month break I'll still be reachable by email, but you're not going to see any new podcast episodes. I'll be back on this particular time. So it reminds them of that. It's on their mind. And then they know they can expect me to come back and not that I've just temporarily disappeared off the radar. And sure, it affects the site a little bit. Like you'll see stats drop. You'll see new subscriptions drop. Maybe interactions drop a little bit. Yes, all of that kind of drops, which in some way might be slight benefit to us because it allows us to then work more on other things. But then once you pick up again, as long as you then hit the ground running again and pick up again well, then you'll just pick up all of that juice again and go with it.
0: And I'll honestly say I think that's one of the reasons – one of the things I didn't do a great job at as I literally said, well, guys, this is the the end for season one at the end of the last episode. I didn't prepare anybody and I think some people didn't even listen to that very, very end part. And so there were some people who were like, hey, when's the show coming back? I, where are the episodes? And I honestly didn't prepare the audience very well. So I confess to that. But uh,
2: And sometimes if there's – if it's a longer break, uh, even – sometimes if it's a one-week break and you have a consistent one-week publishing schedule, having just a simple one-minute or so episode that you can reuse again in the future where you just say, hey, I'm taking a break this week. I'll be back again soon. Don't worry, everything's okay. Just taking a break to focus on something else or you know, some kind of generic message or a blog post or something like that that you can put up there so that when people go looking for the content then they see right there, instead of it being buried inside of an episode, they see right there that you are announcing this. And then later on, when the break is gone, you can remove that content from your site and from your podcast feed because it's no longer relevant.
0: And so ultimately, it's just giving enough warning to the change in the expectations.
2: Right. Communicating what's going on.
0: Yeah. All right. So I got to ask you the question that I ask everybody, which is, in an ideal world... How do you start your day?
2: In an ideal world, I sleep in until noon. Wake up with Krispy Kreme donut. Okay, that's not practical.
0: Um, no, you said I, I said ideal. You
2: know, I did not say work. practical. I just make lots of money, not having to work, and I can do whatever I want. But that's not actually what I'm working toward. But here's what I'm trying to set as my target for an ideal day which actually starts the night before the day. So the night before the day, I want to have some time to exercise. I shower at night, so I like to exercise before I shower. And I'd kind of gotten out of the habit of exercising. I'm a black belt in karate and I used to exercise and be very active in karate. But, you know, the marriage pounds have come on a little bit and the losing some of that energy. So I'm getting back into exercising. I do that at night for about half an hour or so trying to do that and shower and get to bed by about eleven o'clock at night is when I want to be in bed. So then the next morning I can wake up at about six o'clock and one of the first things that I do when I've woken up and after brushing my teeth, getting drink of water, you know, restroom, all of that kind of stuff, is spend some time in the word, uh, in the Bible. I'm a Christian and I have really discovered, especially within this last two and a half years of my marriage, that if I am not feeding myself spiritually, that I then am not equipped to lead my wife spiritually, physically, and all of these other things. So, I need to make sure that I'm being a good follower before I can be a good leader. So, I'm working hard on my own personal spiritual disciplines to spend dedicated time following a plan of what scripture I will be reading on a particular day, and spending some time in prayer, and just honestly praying and asking God, please bless my business so that I can be working less, making more, and giving more to other people, and giving more to my own wife by being able to spend. Time with her, so i don 't really have great visions of being filthy rich someday, but I would like to be working less and making more so that we have more time so so then after i 've taken care of my spiritual condition, then I want to see how my physical condition is working on my website, my stats so i do I am one of those types that I check my stats every day it 's part of my morning routine is I have a folder inside of my web browser, Google Chrome, that I have a couple folders of bookmarks that I check. So one is stats, one is affiliates. And I load my browser, I right click on this folder, and I say to open all of these bookmarks in a new window, and I open all my affiliate links in a new window. So I check my stats to see how are my podcast downloads doing? Um, Does there seem to be growth? I'm not obsessing over the stats I'm just doing a daily check to see what's new Uh, is there a spike in growth something that I can see that I've hit a nerve or is there a drop in growth or drop in downloads that might indicate a problem or might indicate I hit something that isn't uh, beneficial or it isn't something that works with my content so I check my uh, podcast download stats my RSS subscription stats which are indicative not accurate and I check my Google Analytics website stats for every one of my websites, including beyond the to-do list because I like to see how it's performing and uh, the website visitors there. I check my YouTube views and I also have started checking the iTunes page to see just what are the top 10 podcasts under different um, categories in iTunes. So the iTunes provides... Page where you can check this and see what are the top ten charts for different countries. Then I check all of my affiliate services like uh, Commission Junction, Amazon, Share Sale, sites like that to see have I had any new um, affiliate sales, new revenue generated in that way. Especially if I've recently released a podcast episode or a video or blog post or something that promotes an affiliate, I want to see. Is this converting yet? And uh, I check for WordPress plugin updates and WordPress core updates every day. This is also in these tabs that I open in the morning. And after I've looked through those at the same time, I have loading in the background another program that checks all of my iTunes reviews. So I'm checking to see podcast reviews for all of my podcasts and podcasts in my niche some people might think that's a little bit stalkerish of me to do, but I'm checking what do people think about other podcasts in my niche? Is someone saying there's a particular hole that's not being filled by all of the podcasts in this niche? Is this something that I can do? Or what can I learn from what people think about other podcasts? So I, have, uh, I use a program called Comment Cast, which is for Mac only. And it checks all of the reviews for my podcasts under Noodle Mix Network. Then I check the reviews for all of the Once Upon a Time podcasts and all of the other podcasts about podcasting to see how are we as an overall community doing and uh, what's the audience think of what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And that's market research, really. It's not a, a bad thing. It's not stalkerish, I don't think.
2: Yeah. And in general, like all of this, you could call this all market research, not obsessing over my stats like, oh, did I get more downloads? Did I? And refresh, refresh, refresh. I'm not doing that. It's just check it once in a day and see what's new and see how things are doing. It's, just a, a, it's like checking your temperature, which I guess we don't really do that every day either, but maybe we should be doing that to just see how healthy are we. What's the health of the podcast network of just this whole empire that I'm running? How are things going? And checking that each morning. And then many times that's inspirational too because I'll see an iTunes review and it just really lifts me up because I think, wow, this is great. This is something uh, fun and exciting to start the day with knowing that someone said this about us. And it can really be encouraging too.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I can attest to that. I've had such a great outpouring of just awesome reviews from everybody that's listening to the show. And and if you're one of them, if you're somebody out there that has listened in the past and has written a five star review for me, I read those and they really do make me feel awesome. So so everybody else should do one too and make me feel even more <laughs> awesome. Anyways, yeah, I think as long as you're not obsessing over it, which is where you're I mean you've drawn the boundary. You're saying, you know, I'm gonna check it once a day. And it's more like just making sure the plumbing's working. Right. So and the the, the heater kicks on and, and all that kind of stuff. It's just maintenance. It's not obsessive compulsive
2: And having these all in these folders inside of Chrome where I can just right click on the folder and it opens these things. This whole process takes five minutes or so and that's it.
0: That's some great collective sort of manual automation.
2: And then after that, I move on to the rest of my day. Uh, Continuing then with the ideal day, then at some point having breakfast with my wife in the morning, getting back to work, maybe recording a podcast episode during the day, having a couple consulting calls uh, during the day, designing, creating, in general, being creative, productive, and connected with the community during the day, and then about five o'clock, either cut off what I'm doing or start wrapping things up and then spend the evening with my wife, which we don't have kids yet. So my family is just my wife and I right now. And uh, so I would like to be able to have the evenings that then I can just relax, not be worried about work, not be thinking about what are the emails that's coming in, who do I need to email back But focus on that time of intentionally connecting with my wife and doing things around the home. And then later on in the week, so that's a typical daily preference. Now, each day is a little bit different depending on what day of the week because I record podcasts on certain days. But in general, that's what I'd like the ideal day to be. And then be able to consistently, one day a week, work only half a day and spend the other half of the day with my wife, working on things together, um, doing things she wants me to do around the house or connecting with her in some way, not having to do paying work. And then having the weekends to relax, do something else, connect with friends, family, work around the house, get the other stuff done that I need to. Now, that's, that's the ideal. That's not the way it is right now, but that's what I'm working toward because I'm still in my first year and a half of this business. So that's why I'm working toward is to have that freedom and control over my life and my business instead of having my business controlling my life.
0: Good stuff. If somebody were interested in all the different shows that are on your network as well as what type of work you do web design wise and how, how you might help them with their podcasting Or their website, or let's cover all this stuff so they know where to find you and what you can offer them.
2: I have a lot of websites, but I'll (laughs) give you just two as ways that you can find everything else than through these websites. For all of the podcasts that we have in our podcast network um, the podcast about podcasting and using Audacity, the Clean Comedy podcast, the Once Upon a Time podcast our Christian Movie Reviews podcast, our Christian Worldview podcast, and more that we'll be adding this year of uh, fellow network affiliates. All of the podcasts that we produce are on noodle.mx, the Noodle Mix Network at noodle.mx. And then for connecting with me, I would recommend visit danieljlewis.net. And I've got on there, I do have a separate professional site that as you know, the cobbler's own children go without shoes. My own website goes without redesign. So most of my more updated portfolio and information about the services I offer are actually on my personal blog at danieljlewis.net. And then people can follow me on Twitter at the Ramen Noodle.
0: Well, that about wraps it up. It's been great to have you on the show. And again... Daniel is one of the people behind the backbone of the show in terms of supporting the web and getting everything set up the right way. So if you like what you see when you go to beyondthetodolist.com, hit him up at all the ways that he just talked about and connect with him, and that would be awesome.
2: Eric, you are very welcome. I love what you're doing with the show, and I'm not just a participant. I'm a subscriber, too.
0: Thank you. Well, that about wraps it up for another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Again, thank you to Daniel J. Lewis for coming on the show, as well as just making my website for this show look really, really awesome. And you can check that out at beyondthetodolist.com. And also, check out all of the other things that Daniel's doing over at noodle.mx. And you can tweet us both at E-R-I-K, the letter J, F-I-S-H-E-R. And Daniel is... The Ramen Noodle. Tweet us. Let us know you heard this episode and what you thought. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next episode.